I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So this is Carl Lippel and Gary Holmes here with uh, Rico and Mike from SourceFind Asia. Today we're going to be talking about five things everyone needs to know when manufacturing your own product in China. We're going to be covering topics such as research, creating physical samples, finding a supplier, having multiple contacts at the factory, and going through quality control. So Gary Holmes, you're going to be taking us away with some questions. Oh, this is very official. Ooh, this is very serious. Ooh, serious tone. I feel like we should put on a tie right now. Yeah, we got the two best haircuts in Guangzhou right here. <laughs> They're awesome. So first, let's get into the research. Like, I mean, how much research do we actually have to do if you want to make a product in China? Is it just a quick Google search? Do we need a few details? Like, how? What is the extent? Uh, I think the more you know about your product, the more successful you're going to be. The easier it is going to be for you to find the right supplier, to find the right materials. Um, you know, during the production process, the more you know about how something is made and, and, and where the materials are coming from and the steps involved in the production process, most likely the more successful you're going to be and the less hang-ups you're going to have along the way. Yeah, and especially when you have products that have never been made before. A lot of times people come up with the concept and think, oh, I'm going to make it in China. But when you actually start to do research into how you're going to make this thing and the different parts that go into it, you know, it might not be realistic. It might be too expensive. For example, there, I think, you know, like, for example, we, we, we've talked about the Coolest Cooler, right? They had a hugely successful campaign. I'm not biting them, whatever, but, like, they made over 20 million, I think. Yeah, 13. Like that. 13? Maybe I'm exaggerating. Over but 10. It was millions. It was millions. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, they, they were delayed by a significantly long period because their product was very intricate and hasn't been done before. Maybe the factory doesn't know how to make it. Maybe they have a lot of issues along the way. So it's very important that you know how to, if your product is realistic and how much it's going to cost to be made. Cool. So, and then, so in terms of the materials, um, is there like a, I guess, is there any definitive way that you know um, what it is you need? Like, for example, if you're just starting out, you have, let's say you don't have a lot of design experience, you just have a really nice idea. How sure do you have to be about a certain material going in? Like, does it have to, do you have to know 100% or um, is it something where you can get suggestions from somebody else? I think you can get suggestions. Like, it depends on, I think it depends on what you're making, but if I'm somebody who has an idea for a product, I'm not really sure about the design aspects. I'll try to find something similar to it. You know, if I'm making, you know, anything, I'll just try to find a sample of something that's similar to it and then get suggestions from somebody who's more knowledgeable about different materials that could be used for that product. So it depends on what you're making. But yeah, you can have a rough idea and then find somebody else to give you suggestions. Yeah, I agree. Um... You know, especially when you're you're manufacturing in China, I think me and Rico have touched on this before. 
having that physical sample prior to uh, approaching the factory means a lot. Speeds up the process significantly, and you know you should have experimented with different materials prior to taking it to the factory, in my opinion. And you could do just like Rico said, you know, talk to other people who might be more knowledgeable than you about the topic, or um, you know, locate other similar products that you like. You know, maybe maybe one's not perfect, but maybe like one aspect of one product, one aspect of another product, you can bring both samples to the factory and, and explain that to them moving forward. I mean, that kind of goes back to the, the last point when we were talking about how realistic it is to make something. You know, the process of making a sample, if you see how difficult it is to make a physical sample, you might want to reconsider mass producing that product. You know, so like Mike was saying, it's important to get physical samples, you know, as as you design it, you know, if you're making a, a Kickstarter campaign, for example, you might be able to get 3D renderings and you can use that. And as you're building your campaign, you want to be finishing up the design, figuring out how you can actually make this thing. Right. So for people who don't know, like, what is a sample versus like a prototype? What is a sample versus a prototype? Are you saying a 3D rendering? When you're talking yeah. About in terms of, let's say I have a good idea for watch uh -huh. um it's not a hundred percent let's say it's like 80 percent done in terms of what i have a good idea of what i want it to be maybe it's like the right design maybe not but not the quite not quite finished finished in terms of the perfect material yeah is I, that good enough yeah i mean um if just what's the difference between the two terms yeah um i mean in, in our world they're kind of interchangeable yeah you know, you can say this is the first run sample. This is the final sure. sample. You yeah. know, I, I think, I think there's synonyms. You know, I, if I looked it up in, in in Webster's, it might tell me something different. But you know, for what for what we do, yeah, it's it's pretty much the same thing. You know, a prototype might be a a, a drawing or like Rico said, a three D render. That's what I was thinking about. Like three D prototype. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like the important thing is that it has to get to a certain point, and it doesn't really matter what you call it, as long as it's like. By the end of, let's say, a certain date, it's 100% done, and that's what we're going to copy in terms mm -hmm. of how the how it's going to manage yeah. the company. Cool. So, just one other point I wanted to hit on before we move off of physical samples. Um, a lot of factories don't actually, sometimes they, they don't work off of the actual CAD files. So, some people think that they can, they can make a CAD file and have that and give it to the factory, and it explains how this product should be made, what you know, what are the specs and all that, but a lot of factories just want to work off of a physical sample. So that's another reason why it's important to have a perfect physical sample that you can give to the factories and just say, I want you to make this exactly the same, you know, a million times over. So how, what percent of those factories would you think, like, not take a CAD file, for example? Would you not use the CAD? They all take them, but I, I wouldn't know the percentage of them. No, it depends know, on the product, depends on, on what they're them. doing. Some products or industries or particular factories you know that's very common for them mm -hmm. others maybe no but i think the more professional factories you work with the more yeah, likelihood that they'll accept cat files i was about to touch on that like if you're if you're working with a larger manufacturer you know one that's a little bit more professional you're paying a higher price point you can always tell when you physically go to the factories and how the factory looks and just everything that's going on how professional they are most likely they will use the cat file and most likely they will be checking every step of the way to make sure that they're doing everything properly. 
Okay, so let's um, let's say we've we've got a physical product now. Mm -hmm. We've got our prototype on hand. How do I actually go about finding a manufacturer? How do I actually go about finding someone to make this product for me? How do I go about finding a supplier? Well, the simplest way is is Alibaba. You know, it's I think everyone, anyone that's kind of vaguely familiar with China would know about Alibaba. Um, you can obvi obviously you can use a purchasing agent, sourcing agent. Um, if you know somebody, if you know somebody in China, some they could help you. Did I miss anything? No, I mean, if you're here or yeah. you know people here, obviously you can reference friends, uh, ask other people their opinion on where to go to find things. But yeah, you know, there's online resources where you can find massive amounts of factories in a matter of minutes, whether it's Alibaba or made in China. You know, even even to a lesser extent, you could, at least for, for reference sake, you could use Taobao. Taobao's pretty good to... to find products, narrow down where they might be in, in China. So but, yeah, Alibaba is the, the go-to for sure. So for anybody that doesn't know what Taobao is, it's essentially uh, eBay in China. That's what it is. Yeah. Or like, I guess you could say like a cross between eBay and Amazon even. Yeah. It's just a giant online marketplace that has absolutely anything in the world. Okay. So when you're looking for a supplier, is there any benefits to choosing a specific location? For instance, would you, is there any benefit to finding a supplier that's going to be based in Beijing versus Guangzhou? I think, I think it's huge, to be honest. Um, you know, I've been out here a long time. I've been working with suppliers from all over China. And, I mean, unless it's absolutely impossible or I find a killer factory in another province, I try to always work with suppliers out of Guangdong province. Um, we're based in Guangzhou, so, you know, whether it be Guangzhou, Foshan, Dongguan, Shenzhen, uh, you know, or some of the smaller surrounding cities, just makes it so much easier. You know, if you're out here or you're working with someone who's out here, you want to have the ability to, 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 to check on the products, you know, to do quality control, to do spot checks, to verify what they're telling you is actually happening. And, you know, if you're if you're based in Shenzhen, but the factory's all the way up in Harbin or Beijing, you know, that's, uh, unless you have the budget for it, you know, that, that's kind of a pain in the ass because, you, you know, you're taking flights whenever you have to go out there versus, you know, a factory that might be in Dongguan, we can take a 30-minute 30, 30 cab or, or, or even a, a fast train to get there, you know? Okay. Yeah, and like Mike was saying, one thing I'm going to touch on, probably a couple times in this episode and in the future of the podcast is that China is about doing business in China is about mitigating risk. Like you're always going to be, you know, there's always going to be a certain level of risk, but you can mitigate it through certain ways, which is doing your research up front, right? Um, giving physical samples. And then now if you talk about location, if you have a supplier that you can easily access and you can pop over or your sourcing agent can easily access that supplier, they're less likely to maybe, you know, uh, delay things they're less likely to they're less likely to try and mess around with you a bit right so just that just mitigating risk being able to pop over to the factory whenever you want to um, not worrying about shipping not worrying about you know the difficulty of shipping your product from this place because it's in a remote area right? okay okay and so uh, just for listeners can you guys give us an, an idea of how often do you guys visit these factories I mean Let's say I do find someone that I really want to work with in Beijing. Um, how often 
would you say I'd have to go visit them? It depends on the project. Depends on the project, what you're doing, how communication's going. Um, you know, somebody who's super consistent with um, with communication, you might feel a little bit less of a need to constantly visit them. You know, some suppliers we work with will shoot you messages on WeChat every day, showing you progress, letting you know updates, and 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 they're the, you know. They're the aggressor, if you will, with with the uh, with the communication about the project. Um, so in that case, you wouldn't have to go quite as much. And then, you know, once you're making multiple orders, you probably won't have to go quite as much either. If you're making the same product you just made an order for last month, they're probably going to have a much better idea of how to do it than, you know, for the that, that first run. So I would say it's kind of like a sliding scale. At first, you're going to have to go a little bit more, make sure everything's smooth, make sure you know, they're, they're, they're hitting all the details of the product that, that you need. And then, you know, as you move on, you won't have to go and visit quite as much. But I think, I will say, sorry to cut you off your um, I think that, I think it's important in China. I think it's important in China to always maintain some sort of contact. And I think FaceTime in China is more important than other places I've lived. Um, and, and what also I've noticed like during Chinese New Year sometimes is uh, factories are super busy, number one. Everybody's trying to plug their orders before Chinese New Year. Employees are leaving earlier and earlier each year, uh, sometimes for good without telling the factory. And orders get backed up. And if you just, if you aren't there, if you aren't present, if you aren't pushing them, there's a very good chance that your order is going to get pushed back versus someone who's there in their face, making sure that things are actually going through. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, being there and being present is is a really big thing in my opinion. Yeah, like Mike said, it depends on the project. I would say if you're making a product that's new, you're gonna have to make molds, right? So maybe a good a good rule of thumb would be having certain, certain points in the project that you wanna hit. So you have the beginning going to vet the factory, you want to visit and see the factory before you sign a contract, before you pay a deposit. Then when you're making the mold, maybe you want to visit the factory after you finish the mold. Um, when you start production, you might want to go see the factory during production if you don't pay a QC company to do that for you. And then, of course, the last part would be just at the end of production, before they ship them out, you want to go to the factory one last time. So that in that situation, I would say a rule of thumb, new product, if you have to make molds, three to four times. Before before the project starts, two times in between, and then the third time is towards that. That's just a reference. Though, just you know, yeah, could, could be more, could, could be, be more, less. Depending on like Mike was saying, if they're communicative, if you're seeing what's going on, if they're sending you pictures, then you know that that could be a good rule of thumb. If they're not, then sometimes you have to pop over to the factory. Like we had, um, we had the, the, a toy that we we're making recently, and there were a lot of issues in the beginning with communication. And I remember at some stage, Mike had to go to Shenzhen, like just randomly and just show up at the factory because we were asking them questions. They were not replying. They were taking three days to reply. And it wasn't part of the plan. If things were going smoothly, we wouldn't have to do that. But we just had to go there, pop over. Which actually brings me to my next point is you need a good idea would be to have multiple contacts at the factory. Yeah, definitely. So if you have your sales guy and your sales guy all of a sudden becomes unresponsive, if you have somebody else, like maybe you're talking to the engineer who's actually making your, your product, then you can reach out to that person. And a lot of times, honestly, the salesperson is just going to take that question and go to the engineer and ask, right? So if you can talk directly to the engineer, maybe the salesperson, maybe um, a sales manager, 
yeah that's that's a good it's a good idea so it sounds like whenever you have an innate uh gut feeling that you need to talk someone because some like the flow is off in some sort of way that's, that's a really good time to make a move that's yeah i think instinct's a big part of it for yeah. sure <clears throat> but takes a while to develop that instinct mm-hmm. you know your first time producing something in china you might not have a feeling that something they're doing is 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 off or strange but when you ran 20 different orders or 20 different factories you know then you're going to start to to notice certain communication patterns or, or certain delays that that are more concerning than others i mean how i mean just realistically how responsive can they be first of all like what's the best uh, what's the most responsive person you've ever had? I mean, and then, if you've been in China, you know there's a very, very, very small percentage of the population that doesn't have their telephone next to them every second of the damn day. Yeah. And every time that <laughs> phone goes off, they pick it up. I've had people answer phone calls in the most inappropriate times you've ever seen to talk about nothing. Oh, I'm here. I'm over here at this place. And not like... I gotta go. Bye. Just know they'll stay on the damn phone for three minutes. Like, like, so if somebody's not picking up and not responding to you, in my opinion, if you have a legitimate question, if it takes more than twenty-four hours, I'm concerned. You know, even if they say, "Hey, I'm really busy today," you know, that 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 that's that's adequate. You know, but I think that's all those salespeople do. You know, they're not on the factory floor getting their hands dirty. I their see. job is to communicate with the clients. So. I think it should be immediate, if not, you know, within the next day, max two days that, that you're getting a response. Unless yeah. it's something super important, then it should be within, you know, as soon as they see the phone. Yeah, and I mean, like, we have, I have, like, one salesperson I'm working with right now. I'll send her an email that I'm expecting her to reply the next day. I'll send her an email at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. She replies in, like, 30 minutes. And I'm like, what are you still doing awake right now? <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the level sometimes that people are at. And then you have some other people that might take longer, but generally, like Mike said, I think 24 hours would be would be a good rule of thumb. And you can gauge it as well because what I don't like, this is something I really don't like about some factories, is in the beginning they'll be super responsive, which I understand if you're trying to close a deal. But then if mid-project you start like taking such a long time to reply to me and there's sort of the relationship changes, I, I don't like that. Certain sales stuff. Yeah, so it sounds like just like use common sense, you know. Like yeah. if it's if it, if they're responding, great. If they're not, um, start worrying. Mm-hmm. For sure, <laughs> they're acting. You know. Yeah. Have backups. Have somebody else at the factory go confront them. You know. But it's just in general, you know, somebody might go on vacation, so sure, sure, sure. It's just have a backup. So I guess that goes to the next, the last point. Yeah. So the final point we have is with quality control. Uh, can you guys tell us a little bit about what that is, what it entails for you? Um, yeah, what does that mean to you guys? Well, different spot checks. Um, you know, quality control. You just want to make sure that your product is being made properly. Um, you want to, for example, just have certain points in the in the project where you check, you know, what's going on. Like some people will pay a QC company and they'll they'll go in at. I think in, during production, most of the time, against like three times or two times, they'll go after the first 20%, I believe, or have been manufactured. And then um, the last like 90% or 90% are done. So you just have different spot checks. Um, don't trust pictures. A lot of times pictures will lie. I think Mike has a story about one of his buddies was like 
paid a ton of money off of some pictures on WeChat. Do you remember that? That sounds crazy. So I mean, uh, just to, just when I say don't trust pictures, it's just you know you're communicating with these factories via WeChat, which is like WhatsApp. And maybe they're making your product, and then you know the during production, oh, and, you know the guy I'm talking, talking about. Now. So yeah, during yeah. production, you know they're making your product, and they're sending you pictures. Hey, you know we just made a hundred, and they send you nice looking samples and whatever. But then if you pay off of those pictures, they might have just been showing you a choice uh, amount of, of toys and or pro- products, whatever it is. And then when you actually see the full production, it's not what you're expecting, or they didn't make what you're expecting. So I think Mike remembers the story now. <laughs> No, it was, it was just that um, yeah. it was actually a sourcing agent I know who's in uh, Guangdong province. They had a big old order, man. I mean, this was no small, small potatoes. And it was for, for boots, for boots that they're sending back to Canada, I believe. And he showed me all the pictures and they, they paid all the money down based off these pictures. And, and when I saw them, I mean, they looked good. It was like, you know, you saw the racks of, of the shoe soles and you saw couple racks of, of completed products but you know I, I think they ordered a couple thousand pairs of boots and there's probably about 80 in the picture you know so so it gave you the sense that they were actually doing something but when they paid all the money the factor was nowhere to be found which isn't a completely uncommon story out here and um also with with qc to go back to the first point about how much research you should do you should have some idea of how the product's made because then you can know at what point to do uh, quality control checks. Um, for example, I had these uh, PU handbags, like a woman's handbag, and it's a flat, small-looking handbag. And we made them, I don't know, let's just say, for example, 500 pieces and 200 of the pieces were printed and the other 300 were not. But the client wanted to print on them at a later date but what i didn't communicate that adequately to the to the factory so they made the 300 completely but what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have two parts for the printing two separate pieces to the bag you understand so you're supposed to press down on the printing and then once the printing's done you can sew the bag together right so if if I would have done more research to know that and I would have communicated that better with the factory, I could have gone at the right time for the quality control check rather than when all the bags were completed. So, you know, these, these things are stuff you got to take into, uh, into consideration. Yeah, and Mike just reminded me when he was talking about knowing your, how your product is made and knowing the materials. So, for example, if you're making a product from PVC, which is a type of plastic, you should give yourself some sort of leeway because a lot of times when you make PVC material uh, products, PVC has a tendency, especially with intricately designed parts, has a tendency to shrink. So if you are looking to make something and then you make it out of PVC and you go to the factory and some of them are sh- are shrunk and you're going like, oh my God, I can't believe this. You know, if you knew about PVC beforehand, maybe you wouldn't use that that material to make your product, right? So just it goes back to that when we're talking about quality control. Give yourself some space. If you have the kind of money, maybe you want to order, instead of just ordering 5,000 units, order like 5,500. So maybe 400 of those, not 400, but like a a certain percentage of those might not be up to standard. And then you're not worrying about fulfilling your customer's order, right? Okay. 
So let's say I want to outsource the um, quality control aspect to my business. How do I find a quality control company? Um, is my sourcing agent able to take care of this for me? How do I go about doing that? Um, no, that's going to depend on your budget. It's also going to depend on what you're making. I think certain products require you know, professional consultants in terms of doing um, QC testing. Um, when you're shipping a product that's like to the States and Canada, there's regulations, right? So if you're shipping a plastic, if it's, you're selling it to children, if you're selling it to a, a different age, it depends on the product. You need to have certain standards met. And a sourcing agent will probably be able to connect you to a good a QC company, but... They are a QC company. They're not the QC company, right? So it just depends on your price point. If, if you have like a small sample order of, I just did QC on prescription glasses. I wasn't inspecting the actual lens. I was expecting the, inspecting the wood frame. That's fine. It was 100 pieces. It wasn't a big deal. Um, I mean, I can, I can do a report in that adequately. I know the process I'm doing that. But if he said to me, hey, can you inspect the lens to make sure that it's done? I would, be, I would say, no, that's not what I do. Um, you probably want to find a professional company to do that for you. Very, very often QC is worth it. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. It's it's so much better to pay a little more money up front to make sure that you have what you want prior to paying for it than paying for it and realizing you have something that, that isn't exactly what you wanted. Or even worse, paying for something that isn't exactly what you wanted than sending it across the world, delivering it to your customers, and then realizing it's not what you wanted that's when things get get super ugly so that initial upfront money that you might pay for a qc company oftentimes is is well worth it okay so let's say that i i do want to hire a qc company where can i go about doing this is that as simple as a google search or is there an online resource i can use where do i go i think if it depends on the materials it depends on your product if you do a little bit of research on google and say um let's go back to glasses if you if you say there's some certain if you're talking about optical lenses, there's some certain requirements that the government has before you ship those. I would go to that official government website. Sometimes they have recommendations on QC companies. So uh, a company that does testing for uh, plastics is, is SGS. If you go to SGS's website, they will have recommendations for QC companies that you can work with in China, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, wherever, right? And they also list out the standards that you need to hit to ship to the company, to the country that you're shipping to. So that's, that's, that would be my recommendation is do a quick Google search on the materials being used in your product. What are the standards that you need to hit in order to ship to your country? And uh, what, yeah, basically what, what should they be sh checking for? And you can find recommendations for QC companies off of that. So then when you pair with these companies, let's say you find a sourcing agent, you, you find a QC guy. Um, in terms of the sales agreement, is that good enough once you have it on paper? Um, is there anything else that you have to do on top of that to succeed? Uh, sales agreement, Mike told me before, is like, yeah, it's, it's good to sign it. It's good to detail what's going on. But, you know, it's just, this is China, TIC, you know, hashtag this is China. You know? This is China. You have a contract. <laughs> they should honor it. A good manufacturer should honor it. But... You have to you have to make sure things are being done properly. You can't just sign a contract and assume that they're going to honor it. Um, if your product, you're probably not going to get a refund. Mm. You know, so it's it, it's a guideline more so than as something that you should 
So it's it's more of a paper that says, all right, we're gonna be talking with each other and we're gonna be working with each other. But you know, it, it sounds like there's a little bit more. In homework. my opinion, the the sales agreement or the contract that you might sign with the factory mm-hmm. is helpful because it's like a, a visual mm-hmm. for both parties that kind of outlines how things are supposed to progress. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that either party's gonna fulfill that, which is. You know, it's kind of like an outline. It's a, it's a plan for the project. Yeah, just use your sales agreement as a guideline. Um, it's important. It is important to sign it. It is important to go through the details with the factory and saying like, okay, this is what we want done for this. This is an acceptable def- defect rate. This is you know, this is an acceptable. This we're going to pay at this point of the project and X, Y, and Z. If if the the the, the products are inadequate. What are we? What are we doing? Are you refunding? Are we not paying for that, or are you re- remanufacturing that product? So it's sort of like a guideline. Okay. Yeah. If so, what? Let's say, for example, like shit hits the fan, you bring out your sales agreement. Is it something that you should come in angry with? Is it like what is the cultural standard that is accepted? I mean. It depends on the situation. I mean, what, what, what is the, what let's is the say, person doing? Let's say, okay, let's say you're a new guy, right? You quite don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You have this sales agreement. Um, you're used to, uh, let's say, Western practices where they that is the law, right? That's absolutely what happens. And let's say you pull this off in China. You have your little sales agreement in your hand. You go up to the factory and you're like, hey, you know, we're supposed to do this, this, I mean, and you this. You have a piece of paper in your hand. Oh. Exactly. You know, what... what that's not necessarily gonna gonna do much i mean i've been here forever and i have very little idea even about how to how to go about trying to take legal action against someone and the people that i do know that have done that the only people i know that have been successful have completely outsourced it to someone else to a chinese company and it takes forever. It takes forever. It costs a lot of money, and oftentimes, you know, you're just you're wasting time in, yeah. in the meantime. Yeah, the amount of time and energy you're going to spend chasing that is just—it's probably not worth it. It's probably just better to, you know, take your loss and then try and find a better supplier. Yeah, that's it. So but I mean, that that just puts more emphasis on your initial research, finding a legit factory who has a large number of clients, and especially foreign clients, and has a good reputation, has been around a while, has evidence of their work online, it communicates very well, you go to their factory, they have multiple departments that are all working, you know, they, they have a separate sales department, they have a separate QC team, you know, all these things, you can see them working, you can see, see you know, their process in action, those are all good steps to take in order to avoid that type of situation. Yeah, and, and going back to Mike's point, in terms of when you visit a factory <clears throat> and you're vetting the suppliers, um, it's good to figure, if in, in terms of checking departments, it's good to know that everything is de- being done in-house, as they say it is. So, for example, with molds, a lot of factories don't tell you that they don't make the molds on-site. They, have, they, they might outsource that to another factory. It's very common also on Alibaba is yeah. finding people, you know, maybe they take on one aspect of the factory or they're just com- they're just agents, agents you know right. and they're they're outsourcing the products to different factories yeah. and that's uh that's a good way to to, to screw things up mm-hmm. as I, I mean like let's say a factory is outsourcing the mold 
<clears throat> that's not necessarily the end of the world, but you want to know where the mold is being made. Right. So you, they should give you the contact information for that factory and maybe even go visit that factory just to make sure that it is a factory, right? So just knowing um, when you go there, if they're honest with you, you know, you ask them questions. Uh, on a, Quite often I've been to factories and I'll ask them questions and then they'll be like, oh, do you feel cold today? I'm like, well, like, did you answer my question? Like, well, where's the where, where are you making the molds? Ah, are you hungry? What? Just answer the question, you know. And that's always a bad sign. Like, if they're hiding something, you can just you can just kind of gauge with that. So just do your homework and be careful. It sounds like mm-hmm. the the more work you do up front, the less the less stern you have to be in the future. It's not rocket science, people. Yeah, you know, just basic practice, basic business practice. Understanding the culture, you know, understanding Chinese culture, and uh, that's going to help you a ton as well. I think, uh, I think that's it. You know, uh, what, what do you think of that? This was good. Yeah, it's a wrap. Thank you, Jess. Master, Pleasure. master interviewers. That work hard. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, guys. Appreciate you listening, and uh, tune in next time. Yeah, so if you want to find us, that's info at sourcefindasia.com, S-O-U-R-C-E-F-I-N-D-Asia.com. And we have Twitter at sourcefindasia, Instagram at sourcefindasia, Facebook.com, sourcefindasia. Uh, thanks to everyone that's reviewed the podcast so far. I'm so happy that we're in like, you know, nobody is within 24 hours. I'm going to be post-production. You probably heard that already. I shouted out all the people that reviewed us. Let's keep it going. I'm, I'm happy, and I think that you can provide a ton of value for the So, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.